Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. You would open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 in the New Testament. We are on part three of our study on lessons of assurance. We looked at assurance of salvation, looked at the truth of Scripture that to know Christ is to know Him eternally, to know that we're kept by the Father. We looked at assurance of answered prayer that says if we come to the Lord, He hears us and answers our prayers, and we looked at the conditions for that. Today we're going to talk about assurance of victory, assurance of victory, specifically assurance of victory over sin, victory over temptation. When you talk about temptation, all kinds of questions come up. Uh, What kind of temptations are there? How bad are they? If I'm a Christian, do I still experience temptation? Is temptation a sin? Does God give me temptation? Where does it all come from? What do I do with it? Well, hopefully we can answer that by looking at the word of God this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you are able to bear it. Several truths about temptation, we take them right from 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And again, these lessons on assurance are more teaching they are than inspiration. But I, so I hope you're taking these truths and digesting them and applying them to your life. Number one, temptation is common to man. Temptation is common. The, the Holman Christian Standard says, uh, this temptation, no temptation is overtaking you except what is common to humanity. Temptation is common. We will experience temptation. It's a given It's going to happen if you're alive. And I don't have to tell you that. You're alive and you know it. We experience it. Kathleen Norris, in one of her books, writes about a a feeling she has. And she she says, sometimes I've become like the child I once knew who emerged from a noisy, chaotic, loud Sunday school classroom. And this little girl came out of the classroom and announced to all these adults that had gathered to come down and see what all the commotion was about. This is what the little girl said. We're being bad, and we don't know how to stop. Can you relate? Can you sometimes just want to cry out to God and say, God, I'm being bad, and I don't know how to stop? Well, let's look at Scripture and get some insight of how we can be victorious over temptation. I want to begin by looking at the areas of temptation. So letter A, under number one, the areas of temptation. Look with me at 1 John, almost to the very back of the Bible. 1 John, there's three of them, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. 1 John, chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. As John is writing this letter, he gives us a description of, of the areas of where temptation will impact us. Verse 15, do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Let me just stop right there and explain what 
this means by the world. It's the world system. It is the, the, the culture we live in that is, that is anti-Bible, that is anti-God. It's the, the world's way of thinking. It's that system we all live in. So he's not talking about the globe. He's not saying if you love the Father, you're going to be friendly to Mother Earth. He's saying if you know the Father, you're not going to love the world and the things of the world. Look at verse 16. For everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of one's lifestyle is not from the Father, but is from the world. He gives us the areas of temptation in this passage right here. I love the way J.B. Phillips translates this. Never give your hearts to the world or any of the things in it. A man cannot love the Father and love the world at the same time. For the whole world system, based as it is on men's primitive desires, their greedy ambitions, the glamour of all that they think is splendid, is not derived from the Father at all, but from the world itself. I love the way Peterson translates this. Don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out the love of the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything yourself, and wanting to appear important has nothing to do with the Father. These are the areas of temptation that hit us, and we're going to break down these three here. By the way, this is where the serpent began by um, tempting Eve in the garden. He says these three things in verse 16, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of one's lifestyle. Let's look at these. Let me just talk about that word lust, all right? A lot of different words we could plug in here, but went back again to try to more clearly communicate this word lust and did a word study on it and went to the original language. And and here's what the word lust means. Lust. That's it. You can call it desires. You can call it cravings, but lust is lust. I don't know anybody that you have to explain that one to. You can put a more current word in there like desires or cravings, but when you say lust, people know what you're talking about. James writes about it in James chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. He says, I, uh, no one should undergo a trial should say this, that I'm being tempted by God. Because God is not tempted by evil. He himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. That word desires is the very same word that's translated in this passage, lust. So John describes these three areas. Number one, lust of the flesh. Lust of the flesh. That's a craving. That's a desire and when you think of lust, that it's, it's a negative thing, something that should, it pulls you away. Craving physical pleasure, being preoccupied with physical desires. The second one he lists here in this passage is lust of the eyes. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. That, that's craving what we see. That's materialism. That's the culture that we live in. That's looking at that next thing that you're gonna buy or want or crave the newer, better, bigger, or now in our society, the smaller, sleeker, faster, right? Hasn't thing, haven't things changed? And I'm sure pretty soon it'll come back to bigger, better. Looking at things and wanting them, materialism. And then number three, he mentions the pride of life. The pride of life. 
The Holman Christian Center translates it the pride in one's lifestyle. That's, that's basically pride in status. The way, I like the way Peterson translated that, wanting to appear important. The pride of life. One scholar said this is obsession with status. Now, I'm sure that we could spend a lot of time finding other passages of Scripture that, that really describe the areas of temptation, but I think you can put them all into those three. It's those physical things, that physical pleasure, whether it's a sexual thing or it's, it's something that just focuses on you, a craving, preoccupation with physical desires, Could be food or a habit. Lust of the eyes, craving what we see. Pride of life, our own status. I, I was looking at those three and praying through this and thinking how, look at the contrast between those three areas of, of, of lust, that temptation that come our way, and what Scripture says. Think about lust of the flesh, craving physical pleasure. The Bible says that we're to be those who, who have the value of self-control. One of the fruit of the Spirit, self-control. Lust of the eyes, wanting things that we can gain and attain. The Bible speaks of being generous. The pride of life, obsession with our status. What does the Bible teach? Humility and brokenness. We all know about these. In a book called Predictably Irrational, Dan O'Reilly tells a story to explain how we deceive ourselves by justifying our actions. He was a young man who had a motorcycle and decided it's time to get rid of the motorcycle and be grown up and get a car. So it was in the early days of the internet, he said, when it, you'd find things, and he found this questionnaire, this survey, on how to find the best car for you. So he said, this is cool. So he starts the questionnaire. You know how those go? You answer one and roll, scroll to the next screen. He's answering these questions. What, 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 how, how? And he gets to the end and clicks the button that it's going to tell him the perfect car for him. He's all excited. He clicks the button. And it says, you should be driving a Ford Taurus. A nice four-door sedan. Now, you're a young man. That doesn't quite sound like the car that excites you, right? So he said, I immediately went to the back button and started going back through the survey. And I started re-evaluating some of those questions, and I answered them a little differently than the first time. And he went back and came in. He said he kept working that survey till it finally, he clicked the last button, and it said, you should be driving a Mazda Miata, a little convertible sports car. He said, man, that's a great survey. It's a good piece of software. I recommend it to everyone. Because it told me exactly what I needed. What did it tell him? Exactly what he wanted. I, I think that describes the way we sometimes make excuses and rationalize and justify our behavior and our experience. And those areas of temptation come our way and we justify, yeah, but. Let's move on. What about the adversary? Need to know this. Letter B, the adversary. First Peter chapter five, verse eight. This is one of those verses you should have memorized or underlined or highlighted. 1 Peter 5.8 speaks of our adversary.
after giving a discussion about pride and humility, he says, be serious, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around you like a roaring lion looking for someone he can devour. Resist him, be firm in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. Let's focus on verse 8. Be serious, be alert. I learned that, that verse, be sober and vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion. He's stalking you. Can you see the picture of the African field and the gazelles or the antelope or whatever over there? And there's that, that lion just waiting, stalking for that one slip up, for that one weakness in the herd. Our adversary, you need to know this. Satan has two strategies. This is Kevin talking, okay? I can back it up with scripture, but this is me talking. His number one strategy is to keep you out of heaven. Number one. Do you know that the Bible says hell was the place that was created for the, demon, for the devil and his demons? That's his eternal destiny. That's, what, that's what, where Satan's going. He knows it. He doesn't want to be alone. His number one strategy is to keep you out of heaven so you he can have company in hell. Number one. If he should fail at strategy number one, which he has with many in this room because we've trusted Christ as our personal savior and we're on our way to heaven because we're in relationship with him. Not because we're good, not because we're members of this church, but because we've trusted Christ as savior. He's failed with number one. You know what his number two strategy is? I'm gonna wreck your life. I'm gonna destroy your testimony. I'm gonna make you so ineffective that nobody else is gonna to wanna to go to heaven with you. I'm gonna throw temptation at you every opportunity I have, the enemy is saying. I'm gonna hit you at your weaknesses and I'm gonna hit you at your strengths. I heard a guy say this weekend in a testimony, I don't have to worry about that sin anymore. And I thought, oh man, watch out. Well, I've got victory over that one. I remember as a brand new Christian, I announced that to a Bible study one night. Oh my goodness. I didn't even get home before, before I started getting hit with temptation with that one. I told the group, man, I've, I've, God's delivered me from that temptation. I'm sure some people cringe who are more mature than I was because you can't say that because as soon as you do, you know what the devil says? Weakness. He thinks he's strong there. I get him now. He is an adversary. Someone said that sin always takes us further off course than we ever expected to go. I love the story I read recently about a 10-year-old Bolivian boy called The Adventurous Journey. And he decided that he would save some time, take an easy route, easy ride home, and he jumped on a truck with a container in it, a container truck in Bolivia, had about 70 miles to go home, and he just ride this truck. Jumped on the truck, got in a container, they opened the container a day or two later. He was 620 miles off course in northern Chile, nowhere near Bolivia. I thought, that's what the enemy does to us. He says, jump on the truck. Get in this container. It'll be much easier than walking that 70 miles. Just let me take you there. It's not going to be difficult. It's the easy way. Don't worry about all the all the other stuff, I'll take care of you. And what happens? He takes you the opposite direction. And when you step out of the truck, you're further away than you ever were before. Watch out for the adversary. Number two, this is the good news. Y'all ready for some good news? I am. Man, 
can get kind of weighty when you think of all that, right? Number two is right out of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Again, when he tells us that no temptation has overtaken us except which is common to humanity, then he says this, God is what? Faithful. God is faithful. Let's just park right there. God is faithful. What does that mean? We just sang about it. He never lets go. You know what faithfulness is? Consistency. You can always count on him. You can mark it down. He's going to be there and he's going to be this way always. Two statements about that. In 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 3. The Bible says the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. Number letter A. He will strengthen and guard or strengthen and protect us. How do I know that? How do I know that that I'm going to be strengthened in my battle with the adversary? How do I know that I'm going to be guarded by my heavenly father from the adversary getting to me? Because he says it in 2 Thessalonians 3. The Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you. He will guard you from the evil one. That's pretty good news for me. Who's going to protect me? The Lord himself. He's guarding me. He's protecting me. He's strengthening me. Ever prayed, God, give me strength? That's a prayer in the will of God. Did you know that? You can count on it because God says right there, he's there to do that for you. Did you ever pray, God, protect me from the attacks of the enemy? As another passage says, as he throws his fiery darts at me, God, protect me. He wants to do that. That's a part of That's a part of his role as our heavenly father. The Bible says, greater is he that is in you, God's Holy Spirit, the person of Christ living in you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Who's in the world? The enemy, the adversary. The Bible says Satan's title is the prince of this age, the prince of the air. And he makes a lot of noise like he's God's equal, but he isn't. He's a fallen angel, a created being who rebelled against God and God cast him out of heaven. God is the power and the authority. Why, that's why when we sing these choruses and these songs about God having power and dominion and honor and glory and wisdom and strength and blessing, that's why Handel wrote the way he did. Man, he got excited about that. God is more powerful. and He's there for you. We'll talk about that relationship in a minute. We talked about this a little last week, I think as we were talking about prayer, but look at Hebrews 4, verse 15. I think we probably looked at verse 16 last week. Hebrews 4, 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way just as we are, yet without sin yet without sin. He knows what you're going through, letter B. He knows what we're going through. You can't say, oh, God doesn't understand me. You ever heard a teenager say, my parents don't understand me? You ever heard that? You ever said that? It's true. They've been teenagers before. I was once one of those. But when my kids said, Dad, you don't understand, I really didn't because I wasn't walking in their shoes and their culture with their peer group. I, so there's really, there's, there's always going to be a breakdown when you, somebody says, you don't understand me until you come to this. 
You can't ever say, God doesn't understand what I'm going through. You say, well, he's never been married like I was or am. He's never been through this, this trial or this temptation. You know what? He's been through much more than that. Much more than that. Have you thought about the cross lately? Have you thought about the Lord Jesus, God in the flesh, the Bible says, who willingly laid down his life for us? Have you thought about the fact that he submitted himself to a, a mock, unlawful trial? That he stood up before religious leaders who were so full of themselves they thought they knew everything, who spit in his face? Who people who mocked him and said, you've saved others, now save yourself? As he hung on a cross to die for your sins and mine, which he didn't deserve? Don't tell me he doesn't know what you're going through. What you go through is nothing. I don't care how bad your life has been. Nothing compared to what he went through for you. So when temptation comes your way, I want you to know that you have this God who revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ, who went through 40 days in the wilderness with the devil himself, one-on-one -on -one battle, yet without sin. He went to the cross for you so that he could be your God who protects and shields you. I'll tell you what, the good news is God is faithful. God is faithful. The next part of 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he is faithful, he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also provide a way of escape. He will provide a way out, number three, a way out. If you want to redo this outline, we're in a mess, God made a way. We're going to struggle, God knows it, He's got a plan. What is that way out? Just listed a few here. First one is, how do you, how do you keep from being in, led into that temptation and for that temptation to overtake you? Pray. Letter A, pray. Matthew 6, you know the passage. Jesus' disciples asked him, he just prayed, and he said, therefore, when you pray, pray like this, our Father in heaven. Holy be your name. And he goes on and on to say, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus told us to pray that the Father would lead us out, would lead us through temptation. So it's common. You're going to go through it. You are going through it. We are in it. But God says, I will make a way out. You pray and ask me to. You cry out to me. Sometimes the most powerful prayer is, oh God, help. And that doesn't mean, God, I'm going to fix this on my own. You come alongside and help me. It means, God, I'm in a mess. I, I need help out of this. You help pray. That verse 16 in Hebrews chapter 5, as he talks about us having this high priest who's been through what we've been through, who's experienced what we've experienced, he says, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. What's the proper time? Huh. In the context of what we're studying today, when you're, when you're pressed with temptation, I can come to the throne of God with boldness. We talked about that last week. What that doesn't mean, it doesn't mean I name it and claim it. But the boldness in this context is, God, I need help, and I know you can help me, and I'm trusting you to do it. Pray. Pray. 
Next thing to help us from being led into temptation, treasure God's word in your heart. Treasure God's word in your heart. One of my favorite chapters of the Bible, Psalm 119, talking to a guy this weekend at our retreat, and he said, man, he said, I saw you reading your Bible. He said, how do you do that? Uh He said, I I try that. It just doesn't work. He said, said, I'm I'm ADHD, whatever. I don't remember what. He gave me a bunch of letters. Basically, he said, I just can't concentrate. I said, man, go to Psalm 119. Go to any of the Psalms and take those short little chunks of those prayers and use them. Right in the middle of the, this discussion about the word of God, in verse 9, the psalmist says, how can a young man keep his way pure? Can I, can I paraphrase that? How can a young man keep from yielding to temptation? Fair enough? What does it say? By keeping your word. By keeping your word. What does it mean to keep your word? Look at verse 11. I have treasured your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. I've treasured your word. I've kept it. That treasure means to to cover it up and hide it. Like I'm not going to let anybody get it. You know how that goes? You ever play play one of those games at Christmas where they do the white elephant gifts or Chinese gift exchange and, and you open something that's pretty cool? You don't want anybody else to get it when it's their turn? You know how that works? When person number two gets a gift, person number three can steal that gift. You know how that works? You ever get one of those good gifts and you kind of hide it? Put it, put the wrapper over it. Maybe nobody will see it. Maybe nobody will want that gift. And it's yours. That's what this is talking about here. To take God's word and say, God, I'm not just the physical pages of this book, but the truth and reality. I'm going to cling to it. I'm not going to let anybody have it. I'm not going to let anybody get it out of my heart. By the way, when you treasure something in your heart, it's in your heart. Who's going to get it out of there? We, instead of clinging to the word of God, you know what we do? We cling to sin. And God has taken his word and he's, he's speaking to our hearts, whether it's softly in that still small voice, or whether he's hammering us with it. And we're clinging to that sin and God is saying, that's going to mess up your life. It's going to ruin you. Get it out of there. Let go of it. And we cling to that. Say, so we need to let that go and cling to God. Treasure his word. Let her see. Exercise faith. Exercise faith. As we talk about victory, victory over temptation, we're in 1 John a minute ago. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 and 5, as it speaks about this victory. After John shares the importance of keeping the word of God, being obedient to the commands. He says, because whatever has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. And the one who conquers the world, and who is the one who conquers the world, but the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. In his discussion about not loving the world, but loving the Father, he says, you want to have victory over loving the world and the world system? And as he talked about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes of pride of life, you want to have victory over that? He says, this is the victory that's conquered the world. Our what? Faith. Our faith. Someone paraphrased this, the one who trusts Christ is the one who has victory over sin. Our faith. The one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord. That's the one who overcomes temptation. 
That's the one who has the victory. That's important to understand that to be tempted is not to sin. If I'm tempted, that's not the sin. The sin is when I yield to the temptation. You, you understand that? It's not that first glance. It's the gaze. Like the old preacher said, I, I may not be able to keep the birds from flying over my head, but I can keep them from building a nest in my hair. See, you can't keep them from flying over. You can't turn on the TV or watch something. Turn on your computer without an image, a thought, that, that, and you, you get it to, to gaze on it, to embrace it. That's, that's wrong. That's where sin comes in. Our faith here is to say, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm going to trust in that relationship that when these things come my way, I don't look at them, I don't cling to them, I don't dwell on them, I dwell on him. And the last two points are critical. I believe we need to pray. Scripture's clear. I believe I need to treasure God's word. I believe I need to exercise faith. But I'm going to give you some practical, practical, practical how-tos here, all right? You don't hear anything else today. Here are these last two points. James 4, 7. A very short verse. This is a good one to memorize. James 4, 7. Therefore, submit to God but resist the devil and he will flee from you. Letter D, submit to God. Say, Pastor, how do I keep from yielding to temptation? Submit to God. You say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone said two words cannot go together in the same sentence. No, Lord. You get that? Because when the moment I say no to God, I'm not, I'm not acknowledging his lordship in my life. I need to say yes to him. I need to submit to him. I need to yield to him. When temptation comes my way, I submit to him. Then he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know why the devil hangs around so much? Because we let him. You know why the enemy gets strongholds in your life? Because you open the door and allow him to. Man, I don't understand why I keep getting tempted when I'm on the internet in the middle of the night and everybody's asleep and I'm the only one surfing the web. I just don't understand. I don't understand why when I go into that bar I'm always tempted to drink. I don't understand that when I'm standing in, at the counter there at Marble Slab Creamery that I just, I just can't yield, I just keep yielding to the temptation to eat sweets. I can't understand why when I'm standing at the all-you-can-eat buffet that I just keep yielding to the temptation to overeat. I can't understand that when I'm in the cigar shop with all those incredible smells that I, I yield to the temptation. I can't understand fill in the blank. Whatever it is, wherever you are, whatever gets you, what are you doing there? What are you doing there? Why are you on that website? Well, I heard testimonies this weekend. Pornography is capturing our men. Christian men. What are we doing there? Part of resisting the devil is to say, I'm going to stay out of his territory. And every time you click that link that may be very harmless, it tells the World Wide Web, hey, this guy's open to that kind of stuff. 
Now, you may not have clicked this terrible link or opened that terrible email, but it, it somehow, they've got the software that communicates, if you'd open that one, you'll open this one. And if you open that one, you'll open this one. Resist it. Get it out of there. Put safeguards on there. I subscribe to a website that sends my wife a report every month of every, every, all of my internet activity. Tells her every website I've been to. It has a feature in there that hasn't ever been activated, praise the Lord. But if I should go to an inappropriate website, it immediately flags it and goes to her. It doesn't wait for the monthly report. Put some kind of a, an accountability in your life. Get rid of what you need to get rid of. Submit to God. Resist the devil. Is that not simple? Listen, this is not simplistic, though, is it? This is deep, this is deep spiritual truth. How do I resist that temptation, whatever it is? I say yes to God and no to Satan. I say yes to the Lordship of Christ and no to that temptation. Michael Giglieri has written a book called Over the Edge. He chronicles all the deaths that have taken place in the Grand Canyon, not all of them, but he, he, he tells the story of over 700 people who have died in the Grand Canyon. And there are some who've died in helicopter crashes and plane crashes. There are some who have died in the rushing rivers and they've drowned, but he said many fall to their death in the Grand Canyon. And he says it's needless because here's what people do. There's a, there's a barrier. Can I borrow your barrier, guys? There's a barrier that says don't cross this line because it's dangerous over there. But you know what people do? They say, well, it's not right on the edge. I can get right here. People fall to their death there. How do they fall to their death? They cross the barrier. There's one story of a man who got on the barrier on a, on a rail, a wall, and pretended to fall because he saw another ledge down there, and he showed his family, oh, I'm falling. And when he fell, he landed on a lower ledge that he thought he could say, ha ha, fooled you. That ledge gave away, and he fell to his death. What happens over and over and over in the Grand Canyon is people ignore the signs that say dangerous, don't go there, stay away from the edge. And they go to the edge. And they look over the edge and they say, I got right to the edge and walked away. Do you live your Christian life that way? Man, I never crossed the line, but I got right there. I got right there. Part of this is my temperament, my personality, but you know what I think of that line? I am back here. I am as far away from the edge as I can get. And when stuff comes into my life that pulls me to the edge, I go to the Lord and I say, God, help. I go to my wife, I go to an accountability partner. I go to somebody and I say, I'm nervous about this. This person, this thing, this habit, this thought, this part of my life, is it's creeping in and I hate it. Help me get away from the edge because I don't want to fall. 
Tell you what, folks. People who fell over the edge were right on the line. How do you have victory over temptation? Know where the line is. Put barriers and boundaries in your life. Protect yourself. Cling to the Lord and his word. Say yes to him and no to sin.